I'm Jason Andre, and today I'm stepping out from behind the production desk to speak with the Kimberly C. Paul, host of this podcast, author of Bridging the Gap and End of Life Road Warrior. To kick off season three of Death by Design, we'll get a glimpse of the past, present, and future of Kimberly. She left her career in hospice and began this journey to connect people across the country and the world who deal with death every day and ultimately find life. I'm Kimberly C. Paul. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Just hanging out in my RV talking to you. Where are you exactly right now? So I am in South Carolina, which is back in familiar territory for me. So, but I'm I'm right outside of Greenville, South Carolina at this point. Nice. State number twelve on the tour. State number twelve. Are you doing anything specific in South Carolina, or are you just making your way home? I am going to go through North Carolina, but basically, I'm working with a hospice in Greenville, and we have about we have an event next week, and the following week we have two events, and then I'll move on to Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, where Meloprops is a huge independent uh, bookstore that will have uh, a, a signing there, which I'm really pumped about because I've seen many, many authors that I admire um, come through Meloprops in Asheville, North Carolina. And so I'm really thrilled about that. And then I have a, a few other events around the Asheville area. Then I'll move on to Greensboro, Raleigh. Then I have a Wilmington, North Carolina thing, Pop Dump. All right. And, yeah. And then I'm in uh, the Outer Banks, where I guess you're familiar with since you're from there. Oh, yeah. It's my hometown, home territory. Yeah. Hatteras, I think it is. Mm-hmm. So let's start off by telling us a little bit about leaving your corporate hospice career. You mention that all the time through almost every podcast I've ever edited for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess but, we need to explain who you are a little bit, should we? Uh Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> just to, to let the listeners know, you know, there's a role reversal today because Jason, Andre, and I have been working together since we, I originated this, and he, I call him my producer, my, um, you know, shadow when it comes to all productions, and he is actually one of my sponsors. His talent is, you know, photography, videography, and producing, um, but he's he's also an amazing mu- musician, and um, he does a lot of audio things for me, and um, we've been working together for a few years now, so I'm really glad that uh, you're on this journey with me. Yeah, thanks. It's been pretty fun. It's been very enlightening, very interesting, and definitely exposing me to a subject that I had no prior knowledge to, and also showing these interesting people, as well as fascinating people, doctors, artists, musicians, fellow musicians, fellow artists, um, you know, people that I admire and look up to and had no idea they had a role in end of life. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're a talented guy. So I'm hoping that if anyone is looking for, you know, help with their, their podcast or photography or videography, this guy travels. So, I mean, he's really, really talented. So, if you if you want to uh, get in touch with him, how do they do that, Jason? Oh, I don't know. This shameless plug is awesome, though. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> now, you can find uh, my company's called Seven Season Films. And like Kimberly said, uh, I focus on 
video production, photography, audio production. They can find me on my website at www.7seasonfilms.com or email me, jason at sevenseasonfilms.com. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah, no problem. But getting back to you, because it's my turn to sit in the driver's seat today. Uh, you left a corporate <laughs> hospice career. Um, that's a pretty bold move. You went from six figures to living in an RV with your dog. Uh, <laughs> you're you're a couple years into this now. Um, do you have any regrets? You know, I, I think with all things, you know, regrets is an explanation and I guess a definition, you know, of a of a life well lived. Because I don't think you can live a life without regrets because there's they're mistakes. And um, but there's one thing that I do know for sure that even though there was sort of a perfect storm that allowed a doorway to open for me to leave the corporate world, whether it was hospice or uh, other, you know, corporate where eight to five desk job. Um, it, it, it was really uh, a perfect storm that, that sort of allowed me to take the leap without a lot of fear. Uh, and, and I say that because looking back, I, I think I was braver than I thought I was. <laughs> and, and, and I think that, you know, it was scary, but it was something that I knew in my gut that it it was it was necessary. You know, I was changing, but the hospice industry wasn't. And and I needed to widen my my view of end of life services. And I believe the more end of life services uh, there are and are created, then the better off we are. And so hospice is one of those. And I believe in the hospice service. I just feel like, you know, there's a lot more options. And, you know, as VP of communications and outreach for a local hospice organization, my focus was specifically hospice. And so leaving, it allowed me to open my my whole view of of these new innovative things that are evolving in the end of life industry, such as death doulas and, you know, this death with dignity is, has taken a step forward. And I believe the baby boomers are having some effect in that. So, yeah, I mean, do I miss the people I've worked with? Yes. Do I miss the, the patients that I've, I had the opportunity to meet, to meet and, and tell their stories? Yes. But also, you know, when, you know when the chapter is done and I had to trust my gut and, and yes, I cashed in my retirement. I created this podcast with you and started writing this book, Bridging the Gap. And I had no idea if you asked me, you know, three years ago when I was sitting as the VP of a local hospice organization of communications and outreach, if, if you said to me, oh, in three years, you're going to be in an RV with your dog traveling mm -hmm. to every state. I'd be like, you're insane. I would yeah. never... I would have never imagined that. Describe for me what that means. What does a VP of marketing and communication do for a hospice? Because this is something I never had even heard of. You and I actually met because I was your surf instructor in yeah. a different lifetime. In Costa Rica. <laughs> and then one day you called me. You're like, hey, we're doing some photography and some video for hospice. I'm like, what? What do you mean we're doing video for hospice? <laughs> um, so, so just tell me a little bit about, like, describe what you did. Sure. I... For 17 years, I oversaw the communications, the education when it comes to public awareness of end of life. Uh, I, I and I, I oversaw every piece of marketing material. So basically, you know, it, it was 
What does marketing material in a hospice look like? Yeah, well, it's brochures. It's the website. It's, 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 if you look at any business, it's like, how do you get the word out? And you apply that to an industry that you don't think should be out there, you know, selling death. But it's a way to educate people about choices. And so mm. I oversaw communications and, and we use the the patient story, a third party, um, to help soften that message of choice at end of life. So really, my job was to oversee the language that, that we used um, and, and create a creative uh, way to color this end of life service that could enrich the last days of someone's life. So, and I had a, I had at one point like 25 individuals that did outreach to physicians' offices, outreach to community um, organizations, and then I oversaw the volunteer department. At one time, I oversaw admissions. Um, so it really was this well oiled machine by the time I left because we were so passionate about really telling the stories of people facing end of life. And that I think that's where Bridging the Gap, my book kind of evolved too, is like these people were not dying, they were living. You know, death is just a moment. So how can you show the world that even though, you know, death is imminent and, and close at hand, how do you show the world that these people are still fully living? And and that just because death is close doesn't mean that these patients are not having quality in their mm. daily activity. And so that's kind of the what I what I did for 17 years. And when I first started we had about 50 patients and we evolved into you know over 650 hospice and palliative care wow. uh, patients. We became the second largest nonprofit in the state. Uh, I mean some really things that I'm really really proud of. Yeah. But as but as we evolved, you know, playing a role in senior leadership, you know, Sometimes I feel we put uh, money before mission, you know, and, right. and, and, but you think, well, doesn't all businesses do that? You know, it's sensitive when it comes to people facing end of life. And, yeah. and I'm, and I, I, I battled with that some, and I'm sure even hospice leadership still battle with how do you balance the monetary aspect with the mission to keep the doors open, to provide the service and but also keep the mission on the forefront. So it's a it's a daily struggle in this yeah. corporate hospice environment that we live in. So it sounded like you were pretty successful in your marketing and outreach to you know go from 50 to 650. Um but what didn't change? What what was it that just felt stagnant about it that led you to make this leap? I I think the reimbursement, um, the Medicare reimbursement for hospice, it, it remains stagnant. And as our population for um, hospice patients were coming in, the, the, po the population was more critical and uh, acute. And, you know, the word was was getting out about hospice services, but the, the benefit was still just this same old 30-year benefit that sometimes you couldn't put patients in there. And, and it, it got really difficult when you saw someone facing end of life, but they didn't meet the criteria of this benefit. Why would they not meet the criteria? Because the criteria is, is so rigid these days that if, even if you were facing, um, like for instance, there's could be a seven or a 97 year old um, who is of old age, you know, 
facing some sort of end of life, but doesn't have a serious illness or a chronic or a terminal illness. Mm. And so they don't fit in this benefit. And that's that. So, so instead of like actively dying or having some sort of chronic disease, they're just, they've hit legendary status and they need some care to kind of live their best life towards the end of their life, but they're not able to receive yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, they're not, right? they're not meeting the criteria that, that causes for reimbursement for under the Medicare benefit. And, and there's, been, uh, there's been so many things that have changed with that benefit, like uh, disability, um, unspecific diagnosis, that people, it's really hard to die of old age under the hospice care benefit. And I'm hoping... You know, to work with organizations like CTAC and NHPCO, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, to really widen that. And and how do we serve people where they're at? Because I, no matter what, I do believe in hospice care, but I also believe we need to kind of evolve that benefit as well as the services and meet people where they're at. You know, Dame Cicely Saunders, who invented the modern day hospice movement, she invented it because she thought the patients, um, they, she thought the, that the care should, should conform to the patient, not the patient conform to the service. And so I feel like mm-hmm. some of this, you know, when you get the government reimbursement of, you know, Medicare in there, sometimes I do feel like, Patients have to conform to the hospice benefit. And and how do we get back to that basic of, of why hospice was invented? And it was to live outside of the medical model. And and now in America, I feel like sometimes we've monetized death. Um, like we monetize yeah. everything. Um, but how do we get back to this personal connection with patient provider or just human being to human being? Oh, okay. That was pretty heavy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going going back to leaving your career briefly, um, would you do anything different? You said, you know, maybe there's a couple of regrets in there. Um, you know, no decision I feel should ever be made out of fear. I think fear is one of the most crippling things that can cause you to make a bad decision in life. But um, kind of looking back 2020, what what would you have done differently to get to where you are now? Or would you? have done anything differently? You know, I think I underestimated the impact of persuasion in my role. Um, I, I, I could have had a bigger impact uh, with, with helping the organization that I work for um, be more central into caring for patients, but also caring for our employees and and that's probably one of my my biggest regrets is i i wish in a leadership role that i could have influenced how we cared for our employees uh, as well as we did for our patients and families and and that lives with me and so i try to work with hospices to tell and show them of even though i i feel that i failed I feel like there's perfect opportunity for other people to learn from my failure um, because in leadership, our job is to take care of the people um, that we employ. And I've learned that from Richard Branson. I've learned that from mega billion companies. Leadership cares for those who take care of the business on a daily basis and then allows their employees to kind of oversee the operations of the business. Mm. And I feel like personally um, and professionally, I failed the employees that I, I, I didn't fight for them um, 
enough. Um, and I didn't care for them enough. And so I really try to work with hospices to, especially the, the people in the C-suite, um, as people say, like who are leading the organizations, you know, stop worrying so much about the benefit um, and the Medicare benefit and whether you're getting reimbursed. Because I'm afraid that if we don't turn our heads toward the people that we employ, we're not going to have anyone to employ. And we've got to take better care of these people who are taking care of the dying. And how do we do that on a limited budget? Um, but I believe it's it's really, really necessary. And I believe any hospice organization that I've interacted with, I ask them, um, I ask them to, um, I ask them what do they take care of their employees? And and they say, well, of course. But I asked them, what is their bereavement policy? And most of the people say three days. And I said, that's not taking care of your employees. We know that it takes longer for someone to cope with grief. And, and so I really try to work with these individuals to, to, to see the, the things and the mistakes that I made to maybe help them see and be more successful than me and my organization. Interesting. So let's move on. You created a podcast and wrote a book. Now you're driving to 49 states. Why? Why have you chosen this as your exit strategy or your entry strategy? I don't know. I don't know where you're going from here. Well, the thing is, I never thought I would would do this. I And I, I really thought I would love, you know, to have go to places, speak, inspire people to to not make the mistakes that I've made. And the the RV tour came from some good friends of mine, Tim Bowersmith and Ramey Little, that that did this with uh, Tim's mother in the last year of their lives, and and they just happened to be passing through Wilmington, and and said, you know, why not an RV? And and I I find that, and I started thinking about, it, I find that connection happens one on one and in 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 small groups, and I didn't want to go and be a keynote speaker, um, and and not have this RV plan as a backup too. I feel like it takes both. But I, I'm finding that these hard conversations out on the road um, are, are not taboo to some of to these people. They, I mean, the people that I'm meeting, it's, it's, they want to talk about that. They just need permission to do mm. that. But this came about because I wanted to really experience the culture of each state the people of each state and how can I relate to individuals and work with people and, and get to know what people are doing individually, organizationally. Um, you know, how can we really collaboratively make a difference? Cause this is not the Kimberly Paul show. You know, I, I don't want it to be, I don't, um, I, I want I'm it to stop be you there. It actually is <laughs> for the record. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> but I, I don't, I, I, I want to really be a collaborative. Right. I mean, it takes so many people to to help and support what I'm doing. And it's just not one person doing it. You know, with all of these sponsors that I have and um and support like you're providing support and everybody else. I mean, this is this is a huge production. It's and it's not just one person. Um it takes a lot of people to make something like this work and and that's why I'm really aware that it's not an individual goal. It's a, it's how can I highlight people who are doing extraordinary things in end of life when it comes to each state. 
And how can states learn from each other? Yeah, and but I I think you're you're kind of uh, you're not being self-deprecating, but you're you're downplaying your role in all this because I think what you've been doing is weaving this beautiful web, connecting all these points, and connecting these people and groups that would have never potentially made the connection. So you know. Don't don't downplay your role too much in this because from what I've seen, well, not I've, knowing anything I've, and like watching this come to be, it's pretty profound what you're doing. And definitely for thank you for I, somebody that feels young, like I'm in my 30s, I don't feel like I should be thinking about death, but it has definitely brought the conversation to uh, a new audience as far as I'm concerned. And I have those conversations with my friends and kind of. I don't know, has given me permission to start having those conversations with my parents just to make sure that everybody's good should, you know, something happen. Um, mm. So thank you for that. And don't don't ever well, like downplay welcome. your role in all this. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just think it takes a lot of people. Sure. Um, yeah. And and. Yes, I, I I I know I play a role, but I I play one of many many. Uh, roles that other people are, are collaborating and, and doing some, some special things. And what I feel is the most honor is to provide a platform for them to shine. Yeah. And, and that's what I feel my role is, is, is how do I connect people together, bridge them together and, and create something awesome. Kind of going back to the original question, what comes first, the cart, the podcast or the book or the RV, the podcast or the book? <laughs> Why did you do these three specific things and in what order did they kind of come about? Sure. Well, you know, I, right, right in the last few months of working with the hospice organization in Wilmington, North Carolina, I, I saw the huge, uh, you know, increase of people paying attention to podcasts. And I saw the decrease of television, and decrease of print material. And so I I pitched this podcast to my local hospice organization and, you know, in, in no disrespect, but, you know, some people, you know, baby boomers are like podcast, what? Um, or in <laughs> Ted talk, what? And, and so, you know, there was nothing I could do. Um, even though showing numbers of the increase they they didn't see the value in that, which is, mm. Hey, no problem. But I had something inside of me that was like, I, like, I need to do this. And I think that created this, like, I'm going to, I asked them, you know, can I do this podcast on my own? And, and of course, working with corporate America, it's like uh, conflict of interest. And I'm like, it, I think it would be conflict of interest if I was going to make tens of millions of dollars doing this podcast. But as we all know, <laughs> there's no money in podcasting unless you have these, you know, huge desires and sponsors. And, and and that's another thing is I I didn't want sponsors for this podcast. I wanted it to be the communities. I didn't want to be manipulated by who was paying for sponsorship. I wanted it to, to be owned by the community. So the podcast was a launching uh, springboard for me to leave hospice because I knew deep in my soul, I wanted to do it. So the podcast came first. And I, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going to write a book. And I knew that I needed to grow an audience uh, for that. And so it, the podcast became this really unique way to grow my awareness and invite people to be a part of the podcast to 
hopefully create an audience for the book that came out um, in April. And then at what point did the RV come into play? Was it after that interview with that we did a couple of years ago? The funny thing is, I it was I had met Tim and Remy at a conference in Washington, D.C., and they kind of put a seed in my mind about an RV. But I was like, that's insane. <laughs> no way. There's no way I'm going to do that. No, I have a dog. And there's just really no way I could do that. And they came back through in May, about two months after the book was published, and and just sort of stirred something inside of me that was like, yes, this is this is happening. And within two weeks, I had the RV, and you know, three weeks I had rented out my house. Uh, four weeks I was planning this trip, um, and it, it sort of it, it was evolving in the back of my mind, but I wanted to ignore it <laughs> until it sort of was like slapped me across the face saying you're doing this. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And I've never driven an RV before. I've never put a car on a dolly before and then towed it behind an RV. What are you talking about? Look at all these and life yes, skills I, that you're gaining. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I ran into a building outside of Chicago and <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's all how you react to life for sure. That's funny. So what you've kind of explained it, but uh, briefly, what is the mission of the tour? Why are you driving this RV across the country? You know, I feel like after 17 years in hospice care and working for under this benefit and, um, you know, working soul solely on this podcast and I was losing this, I was losing a huge part of a why I think we were all born is to find connection. And I felt that I I was losing some sort of connection. And when you're on this kind of crazy, insane roller coaster of leaving a corporate job, starting a podcast and becoming this entrepreneur and and this mission is like bigger than you are and it's pushing you forward. It I, I was losing some of my friends. I mean, along the way, they, they, it was really interesting, the people who have stuck next to me during this. And and so I feel like I was losing some sort of this connection that I had with individuals. And I thought, you know, am I, am I trying to discover something? Is this journey more on about uh, connection? Am I trying to find connection? So when you're saying connection, I mean, it seems like you've connected with more people across the world, nationally and internationally with this podcast than you ever had before. But would it be correct to say you're kind of missing the face-to-face, the human touch, the eye-to-eye kind of connection? Yeah, it's, yeah, it was that raw, authentic, you know, where you can meet strangers and have a really in-depth conversation about your experience about life and death in in I don't think that can occur via Skype or via a podcast mm. and and I, I honestly I have to admit I I'm a little selfish because I need it I wanted it I was missing something in my life and I wanted this face-to-face connection with complete strangers with friends that are following me on this journey and and this has been a really eye-opener of how important connection with people really is 
in my life. Mm. And and it takes a lot of work to maintain connection. Yeah. Um and and so yeah, I, I feel like I'm discovering something about myself along this journey too of of how important connection is and and how much connection can change your whole outlook on life in general. Yeah. And you know, it, it's it's this it's this sort of we live in a world that pushes for dis- disconnection. You know, you turn on 24 hours of news, you believe what they say and suddenly you're mad at your neighbor because they might have voted wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm finding that that politics is the least things we talk about in these RV and these these trips. I mean, we relate that hey, you're a human being and you're going to face end of life and so am I and and are you a teacher or am I a teacher? And it's it's really interesting some of the things that that have come about. I was just in Alabama and Scotty, this guy, uh, veteran, he had, you know, cancer in the throat and he was had a trach and and he sat there but he he played the piano so beautifully. You know, and and he could still he still was living and so he was talking about how he was facing this cancer and and how he felt like he still had something else to give to the world. And here this man is, you know, in his late 50s, going through cancer treatment, and he wants to connect with kids in high school to teach them what music has done for him. I mean, it's it's just these little nuggets of of life lessons still out there for me to learn. And I feel like everyone that crosses my path, whether I agree with them or not, I kind of am still and I just listen because they just might change my point of view mm. or might just learn something. And and so I try to be an astute observer um, of the human behavior of of just what am I supposed to learn? And And some of the characters that have crossed my path are just freaking amazing human beings and i would have never have gotten to meet them unless i was on this journey yeah and so and they and they've touched me they've imprinted on me my soul and so it's really cool that you know i've been to 12 states so far but you can say okay florida and i can picture people in florida that have just touched me and in the most special way that are connected with me now and send me texts like hey where are you now or you know or following me on social media and it's it's like these people have become in my inner circle, and it's really interesting how how that is evolving. And I'm really surprised about. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, that's a very different approach, I think, than most people take, especially on social media, where you know most people just want to regurgitate their opinions and their beliefs as if they are the only thing that exists, and they're the only thing that matters, and they're the only ones that are right. Versus going into these kind of situations and these types of interactions and being open to something like when you said, I want to learn, I want to like change my mind if my mind is not necessarily made up on this subject or maybe I've been thinking about this the wrong way. I think that's a really, really amazing thing that we could all learn from. (laughs) We could all take that. And, uh, you know, if we all lived that way, I think we would all get along a lot better. And it sounds too like you've in, in conversations we've had in the past, it sounds like you've kind of replaced those uh, patient relationships that you missed so much when you were in hospice with these 
these on the road, random conversations and, and folks that are just out there. They may never see a hospice organization. They may not ever qualify, but here they are in an RV park or wherever. And, you know, are you, are you finding that satisfaction, that, that craving for those connections with those people kind of replacing that which you missed about your hospice career? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I see everyone as a hospice patient. We're all dying. You know what I mean? We're all dying. And just like I was talking to someone the other day who was going to get radiation treatment who just happened to be, you know, in an RV park um, and that's how they were traveling. And he was like, you know, um, I don't want to die. And I just instinctively reached out to him and I said, we're all dying. Um, And I could die before he ever takes his last breath. And I think that if we if we start looking at things that like they are going to end, where they mm. become more precious today. Mm. Yeah. You know, like we we plan for a vacation and when we're on our vacation, we're like, oh, it's going to end. But it, that's why we suck the marrow out of it. You know, we push it and then we have to yeah. like take a vacation from the vacation because we, we <laughs> knew it was going to end. And, and huh. can we, what if we look at life like that, a bookend? Like it's yeah. going to end one day. That's why it's so important for me to walk in my sanctuary of church called nature every day. Right. Yeah. Remove that fear. Remove that fear of death and replace it with a zest for life. Yeah. And and also not to be naive that I want I mean, I've I have my stuff together. If if I happen yeah. to go over a cliff or something happens to me, unfortunately, as I drive across the United States, that my family knows exactly what's going on. But I will feel that I have lived boldly i have i'm living outside of my comfort zone believe me um and it is uncomfortable and it's you you know sometimes i'm sitting down on my knees and tears are falling from my eyes because i don't know how to do this but all i know is i need to brush myself off and there is a way to do it because people do this every day travel and and i want to i want to live outside that comfort zone and I think yeah. that, you know, my hospice job after 17 years and, you know, my bungalow in, in Wilmington, North Carolina, it was so comfortable and it was so hard to leave that f- familiar, comfortable sanctuary. But now that I have, I feel like that I'm really living, really living and meeting some extraordinary people who are ordinary. You know, they would, but they're extraordinary. It's sort of you know, how can the ordinary be extraordinary? And that's where I'm learning is that it, it's by choice. It's by seeing how things evolve and how people interact with one another and how ordinary that is. But when that, when you feel like that can be taken away, uh, it, it can be seen as extraordinary. Um, Mm. people really trying to make a difference. Um, and you know, I feel like some of this is, is I can't believe it took me so long to get here um, because I do feel like fear paralyzed me in a lot of different ways. Sure. And, and you know, being, being brave and living outside of that comfort zone is very, very scary. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I also feel like it comes with such reward. It balances it out. Um but uh, yeah, it's yeah. I, I just I'm, I feel really 
in in pure gratitude of the things that I'm experiencing and and how I'm experiencing them. Don't but don't miss don't let me misdirect anyone. There's been some days that have been very very hard and you know, there's been breakdowns and there's been car batteries that need to be changed and there's been this and that and a lot of people are like, "Man, I can't believe you're having you know, these umps and downs. I'm I feel bad for you." And I'm like, "No, that's life." Yeah. All I can c- control is how I react to it and lean into it. Yeah. Speaking of all that, how are you supporting this tour? How are you supporting yourself? How is that going? I have been given everything that I need. You know, is it the six figure salary that I once had and how do you conform to living in the boundaries of a limited budget? Um, you know, but I have these wonderful sponsors like Cabot Cheese and Amenesis Hospice and you know, these these huge sponsors that have gifted um, and become part of this tour by being wrapped on my RV, but also, you know, supporting me, connecting with me. Um, another way that I support myself is, you know, there's there's been a lot of opportunity that people at, will ask me to be like, hey, can you come and do a keynote you know, speech in Wisconsin? And I'm like, yes. And so I will go out there deliver a keynote speech and within 48 hours be back on the tour. And so that my my speaking compensation supports that tour as well. But there's also other avenues that I'm, you know, writing um, and blogging, but also some some other kind of indirect uh, ways that I'm I'm supporting myself, such as promoting certain things through the tour and and if people sign up I get a certain percentage of it but it's it's really you know the speaking and you know selling the books yeah how are the, how are the book sales going well believe it or not um I was a little I was <laughs> I was a little impressed with you know doing taxes and stuff and and seeing how the book sales have occurred you know I've 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 been really really uh pleasantly surprised of how well the book has been selling you know when you're at conferences the books you know sell pretty pretty quickly but you know i still like for instance this morning i got an email from a square that i have a book that's been ordered and i'm signed it and it's getting ready to to go in the mail today so yeah i i believe we're over 3000 so, nice. yeah, so, you know, that doesn't seem a lot, <laughs> but it, it is, um, you know, for, for, for it only to be published in April of 2018, and I'm, I'm really pleasantly surprised and how that's going. Because you're self-published, right? Like, you did it all yourself for y- the most part. Yeah, I mean, it is self-published. Uh, we went through Ingram's um, publishing uh, that which has been working with independent bookstores, which is fabulous, you know. So yeah, it. it I was impatient. I didn't want to pitch the book. I knew what I wanted from the book and how I wanted it to be, to look like. I wanted it to be fully designed. I wanted every page to be touched by a designer because you know my my agency is Death by Design, and so I wanted to really show how design can play and enhance the and put color in this supposedly taboo in black and white subject of death. Um, so yeah, it was self-published and I'm, I'm really pleased um, to, to report that it's, it's so far so good. So, and what about the podcast? How many, how many listeners do we have on the regular? I haven't looked at the numbers in a while. You know, I, be- 
I believe we have between, you know, two and 3,000 uh, listeners per month. Um, it's, it's just extraordinary to really go somewhere and, and people know who you are. And I'm like, oh, people actually do listen. <laughs> and, you know, you don't, you don't feel that. Um, yeah. But, you know, people. Yeah, you're a rock star now. You better, I don't better know about take that. it easy on your tour bus and whatnot. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. But, you know, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting cool. that, um, you know, we were one of the original podcasts that, that talk about Death by Design. And, and I've seen other podcasts evolve and about the subject. And that really is exciting for me to to be a part of and I'm I'm about promoting any podcast that that meets my, meets my mission and you know I think the more podcasts we're out there talking about death, dying, loss, grief, life, adventure, I think that's the the better. I I love it. Going back to kind of financial support, at the beginning you said no sponsors, I want this to be me, I don't want to be compromised. And now you're like, yeah, I got these big corporate sponsors. I've got Cabot Cheese. How did, how did they get involved? How did that kind of work its way in? Because that was something that I feel like I tried to encourage you to do early on. Right. Um, so where where was the shift? And is it just different because it's the tour, which actually needs a lot more funding than just recording right. podcasts and paying me to sit in front of you and tell you to stop <laughs> twitching your fingers and right. stop shifting papers and stop making your phone go off. <laughs> true. True. Uh, you know, the podcast is still not, you know, sponsored. Um, but what I've done is with the tour, I wanted to recognize that I was not the only person out there that was expanding uh, or being innovative in the end of life industry, I wanted to bring awareness to some nonprofits that were working with limited budgets, but also organizations that have had huge impact on you know the end of life industry. So it was a way for me to incorporate uh, and expose people to some of these uh, organizations that are making extraordinary uh, difference in how we all face end of life. And Cabot Cheese. Uh, I'm just as baffled as you. You know, I got a call from Cabot Cheese one day walking in Wallace Park, Wilmington, North Carolina. And she said, I heard that you're about to ready to go on tour. And we have this whole end of life kind of initiative with Cabot Cheese. And I'm like, cheese, death. What? <laughs> and, and, and yeah, it's, it's like, what? And I get this throughout the tour, you know, people are like cheese and they, the farmers own them. And so farmers Life and death happen every day on the farm. So it made perfect sense um, that being a co-op of farmers um, that come together, they, they've chosen to expand the awareness of end of life, that it is a part of life. And so Cabot Cheese is, is my top premier sponsor. They not only send cheese wherever I go, they, which is awesome because, you know, some, there, I don't think I've got any of that yet, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, where's, right. Where's my cheese? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's really funny because leftover cheese at events will end up doing, you know, a, a little cheese and wine party in these RV parks. And, you know, you entice them with cheese and you're like, let's talk about death. And they're like, what? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, Cabot is just been, they've wrapped this RV um, worked with an agency that does NASCAR, wraps NASCAR cars and, and have wrapped this RV. And I cannot tell you the support 
Um, Cheryl is my uh, project manager. She's flown out to Asheville to see me um, and be a part of the tour, gotten to know me personally. And so Cabot is really, really invested. And I think Roberta, the VP over there, just loves people who do things that are sort of out of the box. Nice. And I just happen to be that person of choice that year, I guess. But I, I cannot tell you how grateful um, I am not only to have Cabot Cheese in my refrigerator, but to have the, them and their support for sure. That's cool. You talked about people hiring you to come do speaking engagements. Is that primarily why you're going to certain places or these like little detours you're taking as you're going on this tour? Kind of explain to me the difference between what the tour is doing versus getting pulled to the side for a speaking engagement. So the tour is is me actually going through each state and working with hospices or churches or hospitals or whoever wants to work with me, funeral homes, or it could be a private party that just... Uh, that I do a book signing for that j- people just want to be exposed. And on the tour, I do not charge a speaking fee because I'm coming through. I want to I want to work with individuals um, in this industry and I want to expand it and and do some education and awareness for the community. And I feel like that you know baby boomers can reclaim uh, this death thing from the medical community. And so it's like empowering the individual to show them how just them themselves can change the healthcare industry. I mean, the baby boomers through the birthing movement, um, and I'm really thinking they're going to do it during the death movement. And it takes one person um, to to inspire them to say, hey, you have a choice. And collectively, if we get these baby boomers who are coming on Medicare 10,000 a day to stand up and reclaim death from the medical community, because death is a human event, not a medical event. If they can do that, then they could radically change how you and I, Jason, face end of life. So the tour is, is can we rise up as individuals and collectively see the power of our voice? Um, almost like a movement. And the keynote speak, speech is where I, you know, get on a plane and go to a state and fly back is a way to financially uh, support the tour, but also connect with those individuals on a different level. You know, there's not, uh, there's, there's certain connection, but there's, you know, I'm on a stage and there's, you know, 200 people in the audience and I can't connect with everyone. Um, but also to introduce them that, hey, I'm coming back to the state, the you know, the, the RV is coming to your state. How can we work together? How can we expand this awareness? So the, the tour is really the connection part. Gotcha. And the keynote speaking is, is one way how I'm supporting and bringing awareness to the tour. There's, you know, one or two ways I can do that. And, and this is the thing is, you know, I'm on the East Coast now. Um, I usually try to, to, to fly in and out within 24 hours. If you're on the West Coast, then it's probably 48 hours. So I go there and pop back um, very quickly to get back into the RV, to get back to the next city, to to really focus on the tour. But also, this tour has to be financially supported. And so that's one means of how I can do that. Gotcha. So the tour is more just promoting the book, and then people are asking you to come out and do speaking engagements. Are they asking you to speak about the book? specifically or are they a broad range of topics 
Some, yeah, broad range of topics. I have on the tour. I have about uh, seven presentations that I'm I'm willing to work with. But I'm also, if you want me to speak on, you know, a specific thing, I work with the organization to do that. But on the tour, it can go from a book signing to it can talk about how you know working with leadership and hospice. How do we take care of those taking care of the dying? Or it could be, you know, how. Um, hospice is playing a role in end of life or how other services like death doulas are playing a role. So it, it can be a various topics on the tour, but mostly it's about sharing the stories within Bridging the Gap and and hopefully inspiring a conversation about how we uh, and changing how we talk, plan and and really live when it comes to, you know, looking at end of life. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, where are you headed next? So I'm in South Carolina, and I will head to North Carolina for the month of February. Um, and then I'm heading north. I'm, you know, the southeast uh, region it will be taken care of. Um, I've been to every state in the southeast, and I'm making my way up t- through Virginia and New England. And so, yeah. Wow, you're headed straight into the polar vortex, are you? <laughs> well, I'm. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that spring and summer will help me. You know, uh, fight that uh, cold weather. So, you know, Virginia. You know, I will get through Virginia in April. And so, I'm hoping that you know, come April, May, it's is. I'm not going to see any sort of cold vortex or frosty the snowman. Um, I'll have a, a nice. Nice, you know, spring and summer in New England. You don't want to practice driving the RV in the ice and snow? Uh, negative. Uh, no <laughs> way. You know, it was not snowing in Chicago when I hit a building. So just think if it was uh, snowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My buddy that lives up there says Chicago has two seasons, winter and construction. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. You're, you're screwed either way. Yeah, true. Um, how far out are you actually planning the tour? So, you know, like, are you th- a month out, two months out, three months out, six months out? Like how far are we, are we looking here? So if you go to, on my website, I have, I've created this landing page, you know, www.livewelldiewelltour.com. And you can see projection dates of where I'm going to be. But once I, once I, you know, book a, uh, a, an event, it, that calendar does change. Um, so it really is, you know, scheduling the events and, and making that sort of the destination. Um, so if, for instance, if, if you're in Mississippi, then you can go to that calendar and be like, ah, oh, she's going to be here around this time, correspond with me. And if we do book a, a community event together or, or collaborate together, then the calendar does change. Um, but I'm usually doing about a thousand miles a month, um, and so the tour will end actually two years uh, from now in 2021. So my goal is, uh, is it's crazy to think about this spring and summer will be in New England. Um, come fall, we'll be in, in the New Orleans, Texas, New Mexico area. I'll spend Christmas in Nevada and then work my way up the coast of California for to next summer hit Alaska and come back through um, wow. in Montana and things like that. So I, I do believe I will see snow, but um, I'm hoping that I'm going to do my best to to keep um, 
it in the 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 months where these some of these states see more snow than than I'm used to 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 not to not experience that. But so you're yeah, just dodging the snow is really all that this I, boils down to. Yeah, it's like a little <laughs> bit of a zigzag, you know. Just yeah. like for for the end of the fall, I'll be right in uh, Minnesota and I'll come straight down to Iowa and Missouri and until I hit Mississippi and then New Orleans and and you know I have family in Texas, so we'll spend Thanksgiving. I already have a planned event in Fort Worth coming up in November. So I'll see my family um, for Thanksgiving and then we'll make our way to Nevada for Christmas. So, okay. I mean, it's it's really interesting how it's evolving. And again, I'm, I can be in California next week if you're, you know, people want me to come speak at an event um, and, and you become part of the tour when if anybody who hires me as a speaker to support financially the tour, then they become a like a sponsor on the tour. Okay. So you're like, if they hire you to come out, you're definitely going back. You're like a touring musician. You got to hit it the first time and hit it again. And yeah, exactly. You know, grow your audience one, one rock and show at a time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So basically what you're saying is you've got a rough plan. And as the chips fall, you can put things on the calendar that are definitive. And then people can kind of see that happening as the time gets obviously closer. Yeah. These okay. these are projections because I wanted yep. I wanted to sort of give people like for instance in Portland, Oregon, I'm gonna be there, you know, a year from now, possibly. And if they wanted to do a huge community event around me, then I wanted them to have enough time to be like, okay, schedule that date and then have a, a lot of time to promote it because I know right. what that takes. Yeah. Cool. When are we flying to Hawaii? I, I noticed you said 49 states, not 50. <laughs> well, you know, I can't. There's not a bridge yet. So, uh, who knows? They, right. Hopefully, I, I don't know if uh, the, the RV will make it unless, you know, it's put on a cruise ship and, and we're floating out to uh, Hawaii. I'd love the RV to go, but I don't know if that's plausible. But uh, I'm hoping. I'm hoping if we make it to 49 states and we cross all of it off, that there is a way that I make... Um, it possible to actually fly to the 50th state because why stop at 49 when you can fly and see Hawaii for the first time? Exactly. And uh, make sure that when that happens, there's enough budget to bring your producer. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that, that that's, that that's possible. Uh, that's awesome. All right. So let's wrap this up. This has been a really fun time, but how do people support you? How can people physically emotionally, morally, financially support you? You know, I think the biggest thing is that there's been times that I feel very alone, you know, traveling by myself with my dog. Um, and, and so the social media connections uh, have been, the, the things that people say to me have just made made my life, period. Um, just, just feel like I'm doing something good. Um, and so, you know, these comments and you know people who I meet along the way you know they drop me a text every once in a while just saying hey keep going we believe in you and and I think that's my number one um but financially everybody can support me by purchasing a book um we've I've done you know small little giving Tuesdays like hey support the 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 tour and you know people who give five bucks I mean it it's 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 a way that you can be a part of this tour and every dollar goes to supporting, you know, my efforts in, in 
and supporting me um, making this tour possible. But really, buy the book. Um, and if you don't want to read it, then give it away. Um, that's that's a huge thing. And and if you go through my website at deathbydesign.com, you really do connect with me. And you are able to, I will sign it to you and I am mailing it to you. There is no staff involved. I am signing it, putting it in the mail to you. Um, and it's a way for me to connect. But also, if people want to be a part of a newsletter, I do a monthly newsletter to talk a little bit about what I've done and where I'm going. Um, you can always drop me your email address and I can add you to that newsletter that you're added on. I have about 500 people so far. And, um, and for some reason, social media has blown up um, in the last month or so. And, and so just sharing my stuff and getting the word out or that I know that someone knows someone in a hospice or a church that could invite me. There's so many multiple ways to be a part of this tour that are so effective that won't cost you a dime, but can make the biggest difference in your community as well as in the tour's awareness. So anything is plausible and I'm open for even the out of the box uh, suggestions too. Cool. Right on. Well, this has been very fun. I really enjoyed getting to uh, roast you from the other side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, you're funny. However, um, what do we, uh, we've been talking about some things for the coming year for the podcast. Um, can we just really briefly talk about what we have in store for the next year? Sure. So the podcast is taking a little bit different format. I'm doing a, a weekly video blog on the tour because I really want people to to come on the tour with me. And what we're trying to do with the podcast is to record individuals along the way on the tour. And so we are trying to get one or two podcasts off a month. It's going to be a little bit more uh, fluid. Um, uh, and so we, we hope that um, when we do post a podcast, um, it hopefully will be on Thursdays still, but it might be one time a month. It might be twice a month or, you know, it just depends on do we have a story and can we tell it? I know that we have some podcasts that's already been recorded that we'll, we'll put in there um, and, and hopefully uh, get those podcasts uh, aired. But really, it's, it's focusing on who I'm meeting on the tour and, and getting them in front of a mic and to tell their story, almost like a Charles Corot on the road again, like CBS Sunday morning. So, I mean, I really want to get to know the people and, and give them a platform to, to tell their story. Cool. So that's what's important to me. Yeah. So it's going to be a little bit more organic, a little less yeah. scheduled because you never know when you're going to break down in a vineyard and have to spend a week <laughs> sampling yes. wines and taking strolls down the down the grapevines. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's always luxurious like that when you uh, oh, yeah. break down, huh? Oh, totally. So that'll be cool. That'll that'll be fun to mix things up a little bit. And um, any last words, Any any final things that we didn't cover? No, but please subscribe to the video blog. Where do they go to do that? They go to um, YouTube and it's, I believe it's under Live Well, Die Well Tour. And uh, you can find me there, but I'm posting it in the links to subscribe on social media. Um, I'm putting in the, the newsletter. And so there are multiple ways you can get to it. But on YouTube, it is Live Well, Die Well Tour. And every Thursday, I'm committed till the, the tour is over. Um, to do a video blog. And some of those are going to be talking about, you know, individuals that are that have sponsored this tour, such as the people on the RV. So we'll be talking a little bit more about who they are 
and what services they provide and how they could, you know, expand and improve end of life for individuals, um, as well as, as, as just give them a, a, a little kind of uh, plug for, for supporting free community education around end of life. So Cool. And speaking of social media, one, one quick last thing. I've noticed uh, a few of your posts recently, you, you've been scribbling on yourself in permanent marker. Um, <laughs> my, my nieces get in trouble when they do that, but tell me, tell me why you're doing that. What, what's that all about? You know, I do it for myself and, and to remind myself, uh, you know, and to inspire myself. I, I, I find that, you know, the things that I do that I need inspiration every day. And so when I'm doing my meditation or devotional, um, I come up with something that if I'm having a hard time, something that is, is on me that I can just relate to um, throughout the day to remind me. Give me an example. Like, for instance, uh, the other day, I, I read something about how an arrow, like a bow and arrow, like I read this quote talking about how, you know, when life pulls you back, um, it's like a bow and arrow pulling you back so life can launch you forward. And so, oh, that's I, cool. yeah, so I put a, an arrow on my arm as I was hiking and I was just fooling around with my new camera on my, you know, iPhone 10. And, and suddenly I, I saw myself like aim high, you know, even though life is pulling you back with these little bumps in the road, it's, it's, it's for a reason to launch you into something bigger. And so these take these little small setbacks in life to only realize that this is preparing you for something bigger and greater. And, and those are the things that I, I'm doing for myself and trying to inspire myself. And I'm finding that when I post those things on social media, people are relating to them. Yeah. And I feel like, well, gosh, if, if I'm experienced this, maybe someone else is too. And, and how can I inspire someone else to see the collateral beauty in, in the most, yeah. you know, difficult yeah. of situations. Yeah, I can see how that would resonate with lots of people, including myself. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's, that's, cool. that's you know, it's kind of like brought to you by my hand in Sharpie. And, and people are, <laughs> you know, people are uh, finding that funny. And I think Sharpie is now following me. <laughs> so. Oh, man. If you're listening out there, Sharpie, we could use another sponsor. And, you know, I'm in love with tattoos. So it's, it's a way for, you know, it not to be a permanent uh, tattoo, but it's, it, you know, the arrow is still on my arm, even though I've taken a couple of showers since that yeah. day. And, but it's still a reminder. It's, it's a way to express myself in, in a limited and let it evolve to what I'm facing on a daily basis. So, you know, the funny thing is, this is, this is what's interesting. When you do something for yourself um, to inspire yourself, it's funny how that can inspire other people. And that's sort of what I'm finding is, is that I'm not out to, you know, be famous or anything like that. I just want I know what it's like to be working in, in corporate America and I know that the treadmill and the conveyor belt can be tough sometimes. And if I can give this little wisdom of, of what I'm experiencing and if it helps one person to have a better day or to aim higher or to strive to live outside of the comfort zone, then, then wow, then why not? Um, yeah. Inspiration so. and connection. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, good luck. Godspeed on the rest of your travels and uh, I look forward to seeing you back home. 
Yeah, man, I miss you. And uh, thanks a lot for taking this time out and, and being my host today. And uh, I appreciate all your support. Of course. All right. Well, tell Haven I said hello and give her a couple, a couple of butt scratches for me. <laughs> I will. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> thanks again, buddy. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.